Every team, every topic, everywhere, this is Believe. Welcome back to another episode of the Comedy Bureau Field Report. The Comedy Bureau Field Report is a member of the Believe podcast family. That's spelled B-L-E-A-B, and that's why on your favorite podcast platform, it reads Believe in the Comedy Bureau Field Reports. Um... It's episode 110, and I'm still having to remark on the inaccuracy of the name of the podcast, um, you know, and how how many different times can I try to quip about it? I don't know. I feel like I'm running low on it, but commenting on that is also a way to quip on it, but whatever. I don't want to talk about it anymore. It's called the Comedy Bureau Field Report. That's all you need to know, and on to this week's wonderful wonderful guest who i first saw as part of the collective known as wham city but it has done a lot of amazing stuff on their own um with for adult swim and i think last time i saw them on stage they uh they had a, a bunch of like wooden gooses geese is that what you do D- ducks they're ducks. ducks it's so funny you said geese i'm like I had a reaction like as though you had to like my bodily reaction to that was so strong, even though it's like very common to confuse geese and ducks. And I'm like, no, it's ducks. That's so important. They're so different. Like, okay. So I yeah. just want to acknowledge that they yeah, were they you. were ducks. Yeah. Great. <laughs> and, uh, they were wooden ducks, and it was a very wonderful, wonderful bit. And that is the voice of Cricket Arison. Please give it up, everybody. <laughs> Hi, thank you so much for having me. I'm really no happy problem. to be here. Um, it was a really beautiful, like very meta opening of this podcast. Yeah, thank you. Thank you. <laughs> um, you know, it. I. it's not like I imagine stopping, but definitely as you like in do over a hundred episodes and like you kind of have the same sort of thing that you have to deal with in the intro. Yeah. You're really like just doubling, tripling, quadrupling down. And then it's like, well, okay, how do I make this entertaining? It's not like I have Mark Maron's intro where he's like, you know, <laughs> making up different ways to say what the fuck, like fans, you know? Uh-huh. Uh-huh. That's all <laughs> I he think has you did to great. do. I yeah. feel like, well, this is what happened. I, what, people yelled at me literally to start a podcast about comedy news forever. And I'm like, do you guys really want to listen to that? And I'm like, <laughs> and they're like, yeah. And then Believe came along and uh, a, a manager friend of mine like had a meeting with, uh, had me meet with those people and they were like, oh, we'll have you part of our network. I'm like, great, like that, cool. I, I feel like that's more incentive for me to start this podcast is I'm actually part of a network from the get-go. And uh, I, lo and behold, I did not know that part of how they sell ads is like they have Believe in the name of every single podcast on their network. Oh. So they sell ads as an aggregate. I don't know if I'm like letting the cat out of the bag to any of the <laughs> listeners. This, yeah, this is the dirty industry secrets here. Yeah, 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 absolutely. Uh, <laughs> people will probably be hearing an ad for Noom in not too long. <laughs> um, but uh, yeah, they, that, that, was it told to me, but I don't know. I, I was just like, I'd rather be on a network rather than having to do the, I don't know, six or seven extra steps you have to do to release a podcast independently. Yeah. Which is, I, I did for a few years, several years before I did this podcast. 
Mm-hmm. It's a lot of work. I used to be a radio producer in oh, one yeah? of my past lives. Yeah. Back and on the East Coast? Back on the East Coast in Baltimore, I produced a public radio show for a while when I thought wow. I wanted to be a journalist before I realized I'm not a serious person. Um, <laughs> Wait, but yeah, it's a lot of work. your mind, Cricket? <laughs> Oh boy. Oh boy. Um, did the wire change my mind? Um, yes. <laughs> yes. It's, yeah. I once, I had a friend, uh, write a piece. I, I saw a friend write a piece once about New York being like, what if every piece about New York, uh, started with like best known as the home of CSI New York city, blah, blah, blah. Cause that's how everybody writes about Baltimore. Right, right, right. That was Michael Farley's joke. I feel like I should credit them. Yeah, they, they <laughs> cred to Michael Farley. Yeah. Sure. Yeah, it's unfortunate that that is like how people know Baltimore. But mm-hmm. I mean, I guess in a way, you know, it's so systemic. It was, I don't know how what it is now, but it was definitely so systemically corrupt. Like, I guess that was a way to have accountability at all. yeah I mean I don't it's it's interesting like I wonder if I don't know if any of the politics of Baltimore itself changed because of it but Mm -hmm. people certainly like knew more I mean the like right after I left okay now I'm really going off the rails but I do feel like people should know this one of the Baltimore one of the former mayors of Baltimore Mm-hmm. was kicked out because of a scandal involving children's books that she wrote Ooh. called the Healthy Holly series. Uh-huh. And it came out that like various universities had mm-hmm. like placed orders for thousands and thousands of these children's books that she had written, like uh-huh. as a way of getting money to her, which I just feel like is so uniquely amazing to have like a bribery scandal that involves like children's books where healthy holly like learns to eat her vegetables and stuff and they were like so bad so it was like they were like oh we'll buy your terrible books anyway yeah what a like g-rated way to be dark and corrupted i know i know i know it was really i mean and i'm originally from providence rhode island which is also a deeply corrupt city so I guess, I guess I'm just kind of drawn to that, drawn to that darkness. Yeah. Sure. Well, David Simon hasn't gotten to that. I do know that didn't the city of Baltimore try to sue David Simon for like defamation? Oh my God. I've never heard that, but I, I don't I think they won because it. it's like all based on real stories. Yeah. I mean, it's really, he, he actually came on the public radio show that I worked on mm-hmm. when I was there and, um, he said he he's really like when he talks about it he's like it's entertainment the wire is entertainment and everybody takes it as this like really serious political reporting which he's also done like his book the corner i think is really um interesting and like a much more sort of like sociological look although there's problems with that too but anyway it's like he he more than anyone else who watches the show is sort of like y'all this is tv like simmer down you know (laughs) so Right, right. Yeah. Well, I think that is, that also is like a reflection on it, at people's distrust of like the media. So much so that like they, the political factioning of news has made it so that people are like, well, this fictional retelling of stories is what I trust. Yeah, totally. Yeah. <sighs> 
it is so what yeah. what made you shift from what really made you shift from public radio <laughs> and being like a hard-hitting journalist to being um an absurdist comedian is that fair yeah that's fair yeah I like that yeah, description yeah. um <clears throat> I well while I was being a serious journalist I was moonlighting a lot in the Baltimore art scene which is really wonderful and like mm-hmm. has a lot of cool crazy things going on cross-disciplinary like music comedy theater it's such a small scene that there aren't the silos that there are in a bigger city you know so like it's not like the painters can only hang out with other painters because there's like five of them so they have to hang out with the musicians and the comedians and stuff so um yeah I went off I got I sort of had a last ditch effort where I was like I'm gonna go to Germany and I'm gonna do a fellowship as a journalist and Uh see if I can like make it in this serious world and um at the end of the year I was like nope (laughs) Nope. I like, I did terribly there. I did really terribly. I worked for a news bureau. Uh I like it. it, In German? Yeah, I really failed Uh, in both. Yeah. I speak German. Oh, cool. (laughs) Really very useful. I have, yeah. So maybe that's why I'm an absurdist comedian because like none of my skills are actually useful, but I have (laughs) a bunch of random ones. So yeah. 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 So I don't know. It was like, I I just felt like a lot of, I had always thought I had to be a serious person, but then like through the wonderful people in Baltimore, I learned that there is sort of another life possible. And I tried one last time to be serious and it kind of failed. And so I was like, all right, I'm just silly from now on. (laughs) (laughs) There wasn't, uh, was there any inkling of that before, or it was this sort of just like brimming under the surface and then all of a sudden like you decided I'm silly now (laughs) I've well I've always been a little ridiculous I think Uh and I've always been a little bit of a showboat like you know I remember I I did a lot of theater in high school and I I did theater in college but I didn't study it because I thought I think I thought I couldn't like I thought I I thought that that wasn't something that somebody who cared about the world should do um Uh But oh, now, you thought it was mutually exclusive more... to be like caring about the world, trying to make a difference, and then being silly. Yeah, um... yeah, or like being silly as a job. <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, I know. I mean, I think I tortured myself a lot about that, where it was like, well, that you know. It, but I now I I have a little bit more of a complicated view of it, where I'm like, it's okay to be silly professionally, and you can still care about the world, and the right. world needs people to do something that makes them happy right and not to give comedy too too much credit I mean I'm sure anybody listening isn't going to disagree with this but like like some of the most ridiculous inane inconsequential comedy that's just like plainly fun and stupid like gets people through really dark times Mm -hmm. you know yeah yeah absolutely I mean it's so funny because like the I think I'm a little, I think my view on it is a little stranger than that after the last two years. I don't know. It's funny. I feel like I haven't talked. I went away during pandemic and became a crazy person and I haven't like aired a lot of it in public yet. So you're hearing this 
right is it like the, the how, how the tugs on your hoodie have been knotted up <laughs> oh, yeah you Are you, yeah you're watching my physical posture as I like become a little like curled up walnut um <laughs> uh but like I do think that's true and I think it is important to have comedy to get people through hard times but I think even more than that the world is so confusing that as individuals we just have to try to learn to listen to what we're told to do like what we're called to do and that it's really beautiful to be able to do that even if it's something really silly maybe especially if it's something silly Right, right, right. So, yeah. So, like, comedy is important in some ways and it helps people and it doesn't help people. And also, like, working for a nonprofit is important in some ways and helps people and also, in some ways, doesn't help people because, like, a lot of nonprofits are really exploitative and a lot of, like, upset people work for them. Right, <laughs> right, right. Know. Yeah. And you can parse any, yeah, not all nonprofits are evil, but some are. And, you mm-hmm. know, I mean, that's the pro, I mean, like, the further any direction you go, I think it's like you're treading in more more dangerous territory because it's like, well, nothing is, I mean, ugh, that sounds so oversimplified and obvious. Nothing is black and white, you know? Mm-hmm. Yeah. It, there's always nuances and a lot of people are, are trying their best and sometimes they're just misguided or they have like a largely different, different perspective than you. Mm-hmm. So, um, yeah, that, I mean... You, it might seem like we're not doing a whole lot like by having wooden ducks on stage that you're talking to <laughs> but you know i mean i think that show that i i mean i mean this happens a lot and that's part of the why part of the reason i go to comedy every night and in such a big part of it and it's so, but like i think i was like in a particularly damn mood and that was so silly and i felt better oh that makes yeah. me really happy. I'm really glad. Yeah. 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 It made me feel better too. I was in a weird mood that night too. And it like, it's, uh, I just still, I don't take for granted being able to be in a room with people and being able mm-hmm. to like breathe the same air as people and getting to stand on stage, um, as part of it was it was Christina Catherine Martinez's show who's a friend of mine and also somebody I really admire like getting to be there with her and mm-hmm. everyone was just so oh it feels so good it feels right. so good and we have to like hold on to those moments we do and I I wonder I, I very much feel that feeling for performers and the audience these days and I wonder is there an end to that if there's not how long will it last if there is an end because I feel like at some point there's going to be a tapering off enough of like, you know, just one of the things, COVID or something, mm-hmm. <laughs> where it's not going to be like 2019 again, but people are just not going to think about their day-to-day the same way anymore. Of like where it's a filled, you know, I, I remember seeing shows last year in person indoors and people would like, like do double takes with the people they came with and you know they would get anxious just about like there's too many people yeah yeah and and they would leave right yeah yeah that was happening I mean I think it's also yeah when will it become normal in a good way and also like 
there has been so much specialness. You know, the first thing that I saw live after a pandemic, I cried and cried. And really? oh my gosh, yeah, yeah. What'd you it was see? A, a theater performance by Asher Hartman up in okay. um, San Francisco. Um, he lives here in LA though and is a really amazing writer and theater person um, uh, and intuitive. If you need an intuitive reading, I recommend. Uh, but that's they're gonna cut that out and put in an ad for Noom over that. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> um, yeah, but so so yeah, there's still it's still scary to be in rooms of people, but it's also still um, I think a very special time where people are um, not taking it for granted and. I don't know. It's one of the weird things about people is that we adjust very quickly, which is can be really good, but it can also be bad, right? So it's like right. the second, the second that I moved into an apartment that I really like, that I love and obsessed with, then all of a sudden I'm like, oh, but there's this one thing that I wish was different, you know, after like a month and I like get used to what I have. And then I'm like, oh, there could just be one more thing. And I feel that with live shows too, where like a year ago, I was like, I would do anything to be in a room with people. And now I'm like, oh, the show's a little too long or whatever, you know? So like, <laughs> how can we hang on to the specialness and also acknowledge that we're people who's, uh, who get used to everything? Right, right. Well, yeah, I mean, their experience is as valid as ours, but I mean, I, you know, I think you can just only account for yourself and like, hopefully remember how special those moments are. I, I will never forget um, 2016, uh, I think it was November 9th when uh, it was the election night. Mm -hmm. And I went to like two different shows. The first one, I don't know, it was at the Improv Lab. And like, for whatever reason, um, they decided to have the returns projected on the screen behind the comedians. <gasps> no yeah absolutely no, no. and like oh. and no one did a set that, that was like why would you so like people How just like you? stood on the side and commented on like ah i don't know and then in the middle of the show you know Mar ramon Rivas? he's let it uh -uh. he's a very no. funny guy he came in the, he was like went up in the middle he's like hey just so you know guys the canadian immigration site crashed oh my god <laughs> which like it's funny now but like everyone oh. just like sank <laughs> i yeah oh my goodness see like right <laughs> some some things maybe shouldn't be melded together with comedy like, yeah sometimes yeah. yeah yeah like when we take social justice or political things and right. we try to smush them together too much it can be right. that can be tough on the flip side though, so like, you know, and then I went to another show and people were like really down in the show and it, like, we thought the show wasn't even gonna start but then Solomon Giorgio took over and like did like mm -hmm. a 40 minute show and it was really nice. And he like demanded the TVs be turned off. Yeah. Uh, the next day, Alonic Laser had organized a show that was supposed to happen at the Virgil that was supposed to be like a victory lap for Hillary. <laughs> Ooh, how'd yeah. that go? No, um, oh. you know, it was, the Virgil was more packed than I had ever seen it, but there was like, some people went up and did a set and it was somewhat normal. I think Emily Heller cried, oh. uh, like, but, and Alana went up and her opening, I don't even know if you could call a monologue or whatever it was. She's like, you know, uh, we don't know what's ahead. I think we just have to like, 
stay together and keep talking and then keep talking and then we'll figure it out. And, and she was just pacing around really nervously. But I am thankful that like, well, at least, okay. So there are all these people with me that feel equally as terrified and at least mm-hmm. they're real and they're here and they're present and I'm with them. And like that, like I, I hold on to that as weird as the show was. And I mean, it ended up being great and that did make everyone feel slightly better for a little bit, but uh, just like having that sort of salve and like relief for a little bit with all these people knowing like as a very explicit reminder, you're not alone. It was great. Yeah. I mean, that's all we can ask for, right? Is like people to be with in times that are hard. Yeah. <laughs> you know? Yeah. 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 Mm. Absolutely. Yeah. Um <laughs> I was <laughs> thanks for inviting me on your comedy podcast. <laughs> right, right, right. Oh, I- I've gone more <laughs> off the rail. I've like we gone I've gone on a whole jags about geopolitics and stuff. Great. Yeah. We still I mean, have time. Much- <laughs> yep. As much as my life is dominated by comedy, I have lots of other interests and uh you know things I'm into um people keep telling me to do a fashion thing and I'm like make more time in the day and give me money I know I really want I'm like okay so behind you I can see all these like beautiful clothes hanging up and I just like kind of wish we could turn off this podcast and do a show and tell because every time I see you you're just dressed so impeccably (laughs) and I bet you have some really amazing pieces there oh thank you Cricket yeah (sighs) I think you could see there's like an actual clothes rack Uh uh-huh um okay I'm bleeding yeah that way yeah and there's like three different shoe racks oh amazing like a hundred different shoes yeah oh we should oh I wish I had counted up my pairs of shoes beforehand because I feel like we might be in competition (laughs) (laughs) for numbers of pairs of shoes there's a clothing rack in my frame too Mm -hmm. oh very nice very Mm -hmm. nice but I haven't changed my clothes in a full week because we haven't said this yet but I have COVID oh my god yes you had COVID (laughs) but you're better now I'm on the mend yes yeah great 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 um I mean, you're wearing a very fun hoodie. Thank you. I made this for my day job. It's it's pa- it's a pattern and it says, mm-hmm. I helped successfully build and implement a store credit system for figure 53, which is my day job <laughs> employer. And I made these mm-hmm. for our uh, web programmers when oh, cool. we built a store credit system. <laughs> <laughs> wow. Yeah. That is, I love that there's that much of a story to it you know <laughs> yeah. yeah yeah this isn't just any old hoodie right as opposed to like I don't know if you go to a lot of vintage stores or a, like a Goodwill you you'll probably find some like jumpsuit or short sleeve button up that says Gus on it uh-huh yeah like in a patch like that you know obviously somebody who used to be like working auto repair just like I don't want any of this anymore <laughs> and they give yeah, it to totally. but I mean there's not that much of a story behind that but I mean People could probably read into that whatever they want. I know. Yeah. someday, someday when I'm done with when I'm done with it, I'll release it into the wilds of the goodwill and right. let people ask questions. And yeah, yeah. that's so incredibly specific. <laughs> yeah. Well, um, it's it's in these uncertain times, we have to yeah. do what we can, you know. Is that your COVID hoodie? It is my COVID hoodie. Yeah, it's very comfortable. <laughs> 
that was a, another where I mean, thank you for saying that. I'm always effectively dressed. That is, I, I, I mean, I've said it before on this podcast, probably, but I definitely say it to people. I, I haven't worn the same exact outfit in like 10 years. Like I always yeah. have a bunch of different accessories. I really love doing that. And even in times of COVID where like maybe the only thing I did outside was like, check my PO box. Uh-huh. I uh, I still dressed up every day. There wasn't a day wow. I didn't dress up. Wow. I like wore hard pants. Hard pants. Yeah. That's and amazing. Because that to me was one of the only things I could control. Mm-hmm. And like, there was so much on the outside where I'm like, I don't know what's going to happen. It seems like thousands of people are dying every day from this thing. Mm -hmm. At least I can put on a tie and feel like I have some, something I can manifest that will, uh, you know, not be torn asunder. Well, can I, can I ask you something about it? Sure. When you were, when you were putting on those outfits and deep COVID, like, was it really just for you? Were you posting pictures of it too, to connect with people? Like how does fashion work for you in that way you know I I had peer like I think when I started dressing up like I was more on the ball about like posting my outfits if you guys want to check out not the supermarket on Instagram it's mostly just outfits um and then I I you know I think as lockdown persisted and I got really really depressed I mean, 2020 and 2021 are like, you know, reigning champions for worst years of my life. And I don't think anyone's going to, any other year is going to get close. Like I went through a breakup and almost died from appendicitis and it was, it was real bad. And like, Mm -hmm. even though I dressed up and I do dress up for like me, I, I mean, I have like posted pics to like connect with people. And I think I was like, that was early quarantine of like hey this mm-hmm. is what I'm wearing in quarantine mm-hmm. um I think I just stopped there's a lot of things I just stopped because I was like just trying to not fight being sad mm, like yeah. I I used to listen to like probably 25 podcasts a week wow. and then and then I just was like you know what I just want to listen to sad music that's all that I yeah. want to do and I just you know, I don't think I'm completely done with my sabbatical from podcasts either. <laughs> um, I just, uh, I was really just jamming out to sad music. I was, I love dancing. I, I go like dancing like uh, once a week. Uh-huh. And um, that was obviously a bad idea to do that indoors with people. Uh, so I just danced in my room in my apartment for 20 minutes a day. And for a mm-hmm. large stretch of 2020, that was like, it was, I, I get was just playing sad music. So I would do what I thought was interpretive dance, even though I've never taken a dance class in my life. <laughs> uh-huh. And that, that would, that was like, that was a big part of my routine for a long time. Yeah. Yeah. That's yeah. I mean, those it's, I, I feel like I came out of pandemic with a bunch of rituals where I didn't used to have them and getting dressed and putting on clothes just for yourself. Sounds like a ritual to me like a touchstone where you're like okay I'm still here this is a choice I can make right I'm doing this for me yeah yeah how all right would you I I I bet there's more specifics to it but is it fair to say that the comedy you do is weird (laughs) yeah yeah that is fair totally yeah yeah uh how it is 
such a strange time. How do you be, how, how can you be weird now in a way that is like entertaining or, you know, is, I, I mean, who's to say, I, I don't want to put words in your mouth as to the intention <laughs> you put behind your comedy, but like, I don't know, it could be life affirming, it could be connecting, I don't know. But um, I feel like, yeah, what I'm wondering is like, how do you be weird when it's so weird already? Oh, yeah. Well, it's a good question. I think, um, I think what happened to me, I just, I know I'm talking a lot about like transformations I went on through in the last two years, but whatever, I went through a lot of transformations in the last two years and it's still fresh. So, um, but I think when I was younger and a little more self-conscious, uh, I did think of weirdness as something that I needed to create by stepping outside of myself or stepping outside of the act I was trying to do and like forcing it into existence, you know, like, I think there was a self-consciousness or like a, um, like I had this idea, yeah, that I could, that I could be outside of myself and make something through the force of my mind. So like I, that, that idea of like, well, the world is already so weird. What do I need to do in order to comment on how weird this world is or something? Uh, it was like a a much more intellectual approach or something. And I think it came for me from like self-consciousness or like looking around at the people I was collaborating with and being like, oh, their work is so weird and wonderful. Like I need to make my work like theirs so how do I do that Mm -hmm. and um and now uh I have relaxed a little bit and I like myself a little bit more and I think like the work that I'm trying to make right now comes a lot more just from trust and intuition and flow and so and it just happens that like if I relax into it I'm already I mean we all are I think But I think I've tapped into some pretty weird parts of myself that like I try to really nourish and like talk to and love. Like there are there are parts of myself that are like strange monsters or parts of myself that are really tapped into what a physical space can mean. Like that's very intuitive about like a physical space or an object, like a a wooden duck or something. That's like Like I, okay, so like, I believe that my wooden ducks are sentient, right? And like, mm-hmm. that's something that is a joke, but it's also kind of not. So like, right. <laughs> so I guess the answer now is that like, I just try to really relax around that stuff and let, and actually listen to my instincts. Mm-hmm. And by the end of that, I have something weird, whether or not I want to. Right. Does that answer the question? <laughs> that does. Cause I, I you know, that was, it's like an interesting journey you had there because I remember there's definitely like a shift as related to a thing that I think you said on stage that night the last time I saw you of like, that I feel like the pandemic has made you more tender as a person. Yeah, yeah. Um, Cause I, when I saw you at Wham City, Wham City is probably one of the most meta things I've ever seen in comedy. Uh-huh. And it's like, uh-huh. I mean this in a great way but it's super experimental. Yeah. Yeah. yeah and like but in in that vein it's also like very aggressive in a lot of ways yes yes yeah. and and that is not like you solo from that is much different yeah I think 
you know, um, it's funny because when you were talking about the name of this podcast, okay, there's a little bit of a tangent, but you were talking about the name of this podcast and I was thinking about names and like collective things being like names are always so complicated and like Wham City went through so many things with our name and you know we worked under Wham City we we did video stuff under the name AB Video Solutions like we each have our individual names and um, I think like one of the reasons that names are hard is because a collective is a hard thing to make work from individual people's um spirits or aesthetics or whatever so um I really love all the stuff that we did together and I think at its best working with a group of people can be like it's beautiful it's the thing I love most in the world I love collaborating I love working with other comedians I love the like I mean it feels like electricity that happens when a bunch of people who like each other are um aligned and working on something creative it feels so good but it is also hard. And I think like just me personally, I think coming, coming into that feeling really self-conscious coming out of being like, Oh no, I'm a serious person, but now I want to be an artist. I never went to art school. I studied German and history. Like, I don't know how to be a weirdo, Mm -hmm. but I know that there's something in me that's weird. And I know I love to perform. Right. And then like linking up with those amazing people who taught me so much was so good and I also think I I felt like I had to be them in some ways like I and and there is a very like um you know there's a very masculine part of me Mm -hmm. that I like feeding and I and that part of me can be really aggressive and really crazy and that was really fed by working with that group of people but I think like yeah when I actually stood back from it I was like oh I'm a little yeah I'm a little more tender Mm -hmm. and I'm what I want to do actually is weirder because it's like maybe not comedy. Like, right. I don't know. That was a long answer. No, hey, no, here we it's, are. It's great. <laughs> I mean, that's what I want to get into and get like the into the weeds of that and the details. And I mean, you know, of course, the actual answers and explanations are always layered and nuanced and complicated, but that's why they're the real ones. I'll say this Conan O'Brien majored in history uh at Harvard yeah like (laughs) I mean so like don't worry about that and I feel like there's no singular way to be weird or like a Mm how-to I mean there's like there is how-to's like plural but I mean that's the thing about being where I mean I you know I think you you said it earlier like listening to yourself is like a key part of it like I was thinking about how like Brent Weinbach comes with comes up with bits and I'm pretty sure just like having a hung out with him and then seeing what he does on stage there are just Mm -hmm. like little like mundane things that he just blows out of proportion Mm -hmm. like he used to he I don't know if he still does this but he does a bit about like taking the wrapper off of off a straw Uh (laughs) and like like then wrapping it around his finger and he's like I can now impersonate any Michael Jackson song <laughs> and it's like you had to like be annoying somebody at dinner oh yeah at two in the morning doing that and you're like oh yeah that could be a bit totally yeah let's just like do that to the nth degree you know <laughs> yeah and I think I think it's funny because like 
in in the work that I'm making now, I think I think a lot of my bits used to come from annoying the people I loved and then turning them into bits. And um, I think the work I'm making now, I realized what actually has to happen is I start from an extremely serious place, right. and then it accidentally becomes comedy. Like yeah. I I shot something last December um that's not edited or out yet but I I shot something in the home that I grew up in my childhood home which is um like was decorated in the 1970s and then never again redone or like nothing was done to the house and it's been empty for a bunch of years so it's kind of this like weird 1970s like ghost house Mm -hmm. and I shot something in that house that was about uh inheritance and about sort of like the things we carry with us from our childhood spaces and like when I was writing that script I was in I was really thinking about that stuff and I wrote what like I sat my mom down and I was like this piece is going to be really intense for you to see but like I want you to know I love you and it's like not about you and then I watched the footage back and I was like oh this is in this is an insane comedy but it only was that because I took everything that I was feeling so seriously that it like then when you watch it back you're like oh a crazy person is talking about her house it's funny so I don't know I think that's where stuff comes from you had the same realization that Jason Segel had in Forgetting Sarah Marshall like his his Dracula musical is like serious and then Mila Kunis is like that's so funny man and she's like it's it's a what are you talking (laughs) about it's not comedy I forgot I have to rewatch that I haven't watched that in so long but I was actually just yesterday being like Dracula's in the public domain and I need to do something with Dracula yeah but yeah totally it is that same realization where it's like sometimes the things that are the most serious to us are the funniest right and just like letting it be that yeah right uh I mean that's also I think the sort of underlying thread of baskets where like mm-hmm. um Dale is or chip is trying so hard to be a serious clown and he's just not good at it (laughs) (laughs) yeah 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 so i would uh i definitely want to talk about more of your comedy philosophy and what what you're looking towards doing uh down the line or anything you have coming up uh but how about some comedy news first that's a news song as things legitimately reopen you might want to i don't know go out and if you go out you might want to feel and look your best and you know by proxy take your health into your own hands and that's why you might want to look into noom noom uses the latest in behavioral science to empower people to take control of their health, and their life for good. They use a combination of psychology, technology, and human coaching on the Noom platform to help millions of folks meet their personal health goals. Noom understands that everyone's weight loss journey is unique. Uh, Lord knows that not everyone can do two or three workouts a day. And what works for you isn't, you know, necessarily what's going to work for, you know, anybody else. And that's why Noom's approach adapts to your lifestyle. It's flexible, focuses on your progress and not trying to be perfect, uh, allowing you to work towards goals at 
pace that's comfortable for you. Noom Weight makes it easy to start your weight loss journey and stay on track with personalized lessons to help you gain confidence and practical knowledge, one-on-one coaching, and a cognitive behavioral approach that teaches you how to be mindful of your habits. 75% of Noom Weight users finish the program. More than 60% of users that engage with the program kept the weight off for a year or more. So, Start building better habits for healthier long-term results. Sign up for your trial at noom.com slash believe. Again, that's noom, N-O-O-M dot com slash believe. That's spelled B-L-E-A-V. Yeah, thank you for doing that. Out of 110 episodes, nobody's done anything. <laughs> no. Really? Yes. No. I'm uh-huh. the first one to do the boop 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 song. Yep. That's crazy. Wow. Isn't oh my it? God. Do I, yeah. I get like a little hat or something? To <laughs> sure. I also, it's not in this room, but I have like 50 hats. Okay, great. Okay, cool. <laughs> <I'll> <laughs> I you expect one of them on my doorstep uh-huh. within the week. Yeah, I'll, I'll write on a little piece of paper like newscaster or whatever, like the old fashioned reporters. <laughs> Hey, hey, I heard we have some news. Right. Oh, God. <laughs> All right. So first on the docket, uh, Netflix is a joke fest just concluded. Uh, there are 10 days of Netflix's uh, big uh, pulling out all the stops comedy festival. It was actually supposed to happen in 2020, uh, but was one of the first in-person festivals to get canceled. Um, and then they had to keep postponing it, uh, but they finally got to do it. And, you know, even though <laughs> I'm sure some of the shows will be tagged as super spreader events, <laughs> I mean, mm-hmm. you know, there's a little tick up in cases, but anyways, um, so they, uh, pre, uh, agreed to have some of the events be released as specials. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, I think Amy Schumer's parental advisory that's my time with david letterman i think there was like a big queer showcase that they did at the greek theater i think that is being taped to be later released on netflix um dave Chappelle's record setting um run at the hollywood bowl which included a performance in which he was tackled as he was leaving the stage um he was not uh, injured in any way uh, and then his security team really roughed up the guy and more details are coming out but I think as it, as it stands now the man in question was in his early 20s had a replica gun that actually didn't shoot anything but had a knife in it and uh, it's being sussed out whether he is uh, trans or is you know in solidarity with trans people no one knows yet um that set will not be on netflix's streaming platform um amongst uh, the all the other uh, countless and countless hours of comedy that they had for the festival um you know also i wonder if netflix is just taking a big old break from releasing Chappelle's stuff i mean <sighs> yeah yeah uh, sorry, my mind is stuck on the gun that had a knife inside of it. I know that's not the biggest sure. news, but yeah. uh, I'm just wrapping my head around that. A gun with right. a knife in it. Yeah, well, there are like ridiculous looking guns that have uh, attachments where you can put an actual knife. Uh-huh. But apparently it was a non-functioning 
like it wasn't a gun that actually you pull a trigger and something like there was yeah. just a knife in it that you could pull out. Um, yeah, you know, I, I don't, I don't, tr- this is weird, but I don't trust Netflix to be making the right political decisions. Isn't that crazy? <laughs> I know that's probably why you brought me on the show right, because right, I have right, a very right. controversial Absolutely. opinion, uh-huh. but I do think, yeah, may I, part of me wants to say that they're doing that because then they have something they can point to and be like, Hey, but we didn't televise this. Well, at the same time, the like big money makers are still going up there, but I mean, I'm glad. Yeah. 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 And I would, it would feel exploitative, like no matter your feelings about Dave, like the idea of putting that on. And I do wonder if they lose like a hundred million more subscribers that they like, Oh, now can Dave, can we have this? right i know uh it's it's a weird time it's the the, again hard-hitting political commentary here that's why it's it's too bad that the journalistic world lost me because it's a weird time everyone um i mean it would be refreshing to see a newspaper that said like it on on, the lead story it's a weird time yeah i mean well that that is one of the things that's hard too though is like we're in this time when all of the news outlets and the networks and stuff are trying to be our buddies and advertisements are trying to be our buddies. And right. so like, a po- like, you know, and this is why I'm glad that I don't have to think in that world anymore that I do think is much more like intellectual and has to think about how to talk about how the world is weird in a weird right. world right. where I'm like, yeah, I would like to see that. That's the truth. But also if I saw that on the front page of the New York times, I'd be like, you don't know you're a corporation. Like stop trying to buddy up to me. <laughs> well, unfortunately, I don't think we've gotten to the point where like the UK has gotten to, I, I don't know if you've been there or been there a lot, but there's something upsetting to me about a lot of their morning news being called breakfast and it's like breakfast with wh- whoever the hosts are. Uh-huh. And that is too buddy, buddy. No, 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 no. There's like a, a thicker fourth wall that needs to happen. I'm not familiar with the breakfast shows. I've been to the UK, but not very much. And I don't yeah. think I ever watched breakfast, but for you, would it be as intimate if it was lunch? Like where's your line around that? Is it like um, breakfast too, too close? I feel like, I feel like maybe, yeah, if they did like lunch, not brunch, lunch. Okay. Mm-hmm. Lunch, like I, lunch is probably the only thing. Yeah. Not dinner. That would dinner, be weird. Oh, dinner's very intimate. Yeah. Is lunch the least intimate meal? Yeah. I feel like it's also the least committal meal too. Cause like uh-huh. dinner, like, like the idea of dinner is like a bit like you an entree you know you can like you can just order a salad for lunch and that's lunch and no one really bats an eye right yeah and you're allowed to have sex after dinner but you're not allowed to have sex after lunch or Or like sex after lunch is like oh look at you guys (laughs) yeah yeah yeah. after lunch (laughs) (laughs) yeah yeah um okay so yeah breakfast um they don't have yeah yeah. that's too cozy too cozy i agree yeah um do they eat breakfast on the shows because that's a nightmare no, they, they, i really they don't hate eat chewing breakfast, but they do have a lot of like i think sort of like i rem- i'm remembering like sort of pastel color mm-hmm. palettes mm-hmm. in a way that like i mean are you guys talking about how boris johnson's bat like we like right. I, right I want something a little more sobering you know 
the the contrast while like i think could work comedically it's like this is not a comedy so like you know get your act together guys right i mean it's the opposite in a way of what you were saying about going to the comedy show where they're projecting the election results on a screen behind it it's like Yeah, you don't want like a pastel set and a bunch of cheery stuff while they're talking about Boris Johnson being a dick. Yeah, absolutely. Um, So as related to Netflix, (laughs) not um, putting Chappelle's out. Oh, I I wanted to say, so Chappelle currently is going to release four specials, but he's not doing any material in any of them. He's just um, releasing them under his production banner. Uh, already he released something with Earthquake I think Donnell Rawlings is going to get another one I want to say Erica Badu is getting a special from Dave huh. Huh. I know I don't know that she's doing comedy what, but it, um, has she ever done comedy that you know of uh, I mean she was on Chappelle's show oh and right like, okay and right. like having a music act was a big part of the Chappelle show right um, it now sort of famously or infamously Kanye West like was um, hanging at at like the sound stages and then like got a call like while they were in the edit bay or something I think and uh kind of like Dave overheard Kanye saying like yeah I'm at Chappelle's show because I'm Kanye West and I do dope shit and Dave was like yeah that's when I knew (laughs) that Kanye was gonna be Kanye yeah wow (sighs) heady days I understand that that is a valid person in the world, but I cannot relate to that state of being ever. Yeah, I, oh man, it's like, uh, that is a, that's a corner of the pop culture world that I Mm -hmm. occasionally like take in Mm -hmm. and I'm like, huh, but I don't, I don't like absorb. I'm, yeah, I think I feel similarly where I'm like, that's a whole strange, different way of being that I, that I just sort of sit outside and I'm like, hmm. Right. Because yeah. I feel like it's a state of being that operates in absolutes where it's like where I, I just always like, well, things can go wrong. Yeah. And like they could not go your way. And I know that like sometimes like especially. I mean, I don't think it's across the board, but I think part some of the people that are in those sort of upper echelons of like celebrity and fame. Mm-hmm. Believe that they partially got there because they're like, I everything I know everything has to be like like has to go well yeah or else like no I mean there is no it can't it just has to right well it's almost like our system is geared towards the really monomaniacal egotistical people rising to the top of it right and and I don't I don't even mean that like I feel like there's a way of saying that that's not, that's like bitter where it's like, oh, well, of course they rise to the top or whatever. But I'm like, right. no, like in our system, the people who are have like that much undying faith in themselves and like ego, right. they just, yeah, I'm not, I'm not like mad about it, but I'm like, yeah, you do kind of need that to survive the right. things that you have to do. Right. Yeah. Yeah. And yeah, that's, so when you do something, are you sure it's going to go wrong? <laughs> They have faith. I, for me, I like, I have faith in myself, but I also know as someone who's adopted, like, yeah, you know, I could just like be left behind because that's happened most of my life. Yeah. So like, 
I always, that's always like clinking around the back of my mind that things like can go wrong because they have. Right. Yeah. Yeah. And I, it's like, I think there's something psychologically that can happen to, to people at that level where like things do go wrong, but you, but their brains find a way of twisting the fact so that it right. either wasn't their fault or like didn't really happen that way or it doesn't right, right. matter. I mean, I don't, yeah. Yeah. Um, next news story. Uh, yeah. I think you should leave when I, I think currently the best sketch comedy on television is finally renewed for season three. Mm-hmm. Season two was released. I don't know. It feel like it feels like a year ago, and there were so many memes and so much fan art and like so much uh, praise of it, and it got nominated for awards this past award season. And um, I don't know why Netflix waited to renew it. Whew. I mean, at this point, I just feel like anything that was spared is such a nice miracle. Oh yeah, no, they're definitely uh, bringing in the guillotine for a bunch of things. I know they canceled the Babysitters Club. Can you believe it? What a heartwarming show! Did you watch that? I did not get around to the Babysitters Club. Is that something that you watched during uh, lockdown? Yeah, yeah. I actually, I have yet. Ugh, maybe it's my fault. I have yet to watch the second season, but I have it queued up, and and it's actually like a, a very good show. But we're not here to talk about the Babysitters Club. <laughs> But yeah. um, but that was like another cult hit that that right. people really loved, and um, I don't know, just so many shows were on the chopping block. So I, it is strange that they waited so long, but also like, you know, they canceled Tukin Birdie a while ago before Adult Swim picked that up. Where I'm just like, it their relationship to cult hits seems so touchy that, I, right. yeah, I don't know. I mean, this is secondhand, but I, from what I understand, um, they are like forever bound by the will of the algorithm. Yeah, yeah. And, which is like kind of disturbing in a way. And then for a show, for a platform that um, distributed Black Mirror, I feel like they should be more transparent about that. Yeah. Yeah. Uh... Right. But like, but are they like, that's the thing that we don't know. Cause they're, they don't, you know, they don't often release subscriber information. They don't release, like we, they say they're making these decisions because of their weird viewer metrics and their very advanced algorithms, but we actually don't know. It could just be a guy the way it is in other places. And we don't know. And they use such weird metrics that have no precedent in like, like measuring television ever. Like they'll say stuff like, people have watched 900 hours of Bridgerton and it's like, or 900 million hours. Like, okay, but what does that mean? I don't know what that means. Yeah. It's so funny because in, in the stuff that I've been reading about like the streaming wars and what's happening with Netflix, you know, their stock dip and all that stuff. They're like, all these streaming sites are realizing that they need to go back to an old model that relies a lot more on advertising and like fewer hours and stuff, you know, like and streaming's not going anywhere anytime soon, but they're sort of like, uh, I, I think we're approaching the moment where the emperor has no clothes and everybody knows it where it's like, they've all been arms racing each other and now they're like huh there's I mean I don't know you said we could go into geopolitics our whole economic system is based on the idea that we have to expand Mm -hmm. forever the GDP has to be going up like consumption has to be going up like at some point we're gonna hit a wall 
yeah and there's there's an absurd element to it of like well netflix there's a finite amount of people on the planet yeah you can't have all of them be like once if in theory if they all subscribe to netflix you cannot grow anymore right i know i mean but that's and that's like the united states economy too Mm -hmm. at a certain point like we can't work more hours or buy more things like there's you know um I I speaking of the algorithm this week when I had COVID I was talking to a doctor about potentially getting some medicine and she was like okay I just have to I have to consult the algorithm to see if you're uh what's the word I've been losing words with COVID which is funny um if you're eligible Mm -hmm. um and I was like well what like you know (laughs) she had to like plug a bunch of varied symptoms and factors and risk factors and stuff into an algorithm to find out if I could get some medicine. That's crazy. I don't know if that that's disturbing. I feel like maybe it wasn't an algorithm, but I think it's along the same lines. I had to test into therapy. You did for your Yeah, they asked me all these questions that rated how my anxiety and depression. Yeah. And they said, on the scale of depression, you do not qualify, but for anxiety, you do. And I'm hey, like, congrats. Yeah, con- congrats. And that was so weird because I was like, I'm definitely more sad than I'm anxious. Like, I, you know, I, I guess like, like, because I don't, but any sort of anxiety I have doesn't like uh, prohibit me from doing anything. Uh-huh. So I feel like that makes me like less anxious than anxious people. But right. But they're I, like, hey, everyone's really sad right now. Like, yeah, yeah, yeah. Just- god but i i don't sleep enough and i think that's the thing (laughs) Mm. yeah i mean the whole thing of like having to have a medical diagnosis in order to get therapy is really strange to me like you know when i submit reimbursements for therapy it's like got some diagnosis codes on there and i don't know you know and like therapists I've had in the past sort of like have talked with me and been like so which diagnosis do you want like we need to do this so that you can get reimbursed and it's just kind of like grabbing stuff out of a hat which is really weird yeah where I'm like can't isn't therapy just good for people (laughs) who want it I like it it's made me much better yeah absolutely a much more productive consumer of netflix and consumer goods so (laughs) that was that's what netflix wants yeah uh i mean it's my my take that they wanted to replace the word television with netflix and um they were sorely mistaken given the how the free market works that that was actually achievable yeah 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 they 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 spent too much money and that was gonna it's caught up to them yeah, it's a strange, it's a strange economic model. Mm-hmm. And it's, it's so weird. <laughs> this is just my personal vendetta where I'm like, there's so much content being created. Right. And it's so hard to get something made. Oh, how yeah. is this? You know, like, it's just right. this funny, like, I'm like, they've, they're pouring billions into making content. And, and yeah, they don't. And yet it's, yeah, yeah it's still a miracle that anything is made. Yeah. So I'm very happy that they were renewed for a third season. Yeah, absolutely. I'm also confused why it took so long, but I'm just very happy. Uh, same. I, you know, I feel like the state of sketch comedy is a real, it's really fractured, you know, uh, mm-hmm. because SNL is such a monolith 
And it's a weird monolith. It's like, it's, all right, this is my personal opinion. I think everybody on there is on the show because they are very, very funny people that deserve mm-hmm. that sort of platform. But I feel like Lorne makes them less funny. Mm-hmm. Every every week yeah. I'm like, I know you're better than this. What is it, What is happening? Do you watch SNL every week? I'm so curious. I, you know, I used to not it. because it would really upset me how like unfunny it would be. Yeah. And now that because like Sarah, James and Aristotle are actual like friends of mine, like actual yeah. friends. Yeah. I'm like, all totally. right, I want to like see what they're in, you know? So <laughs> yeah. I do, I do like peruse sketches as I'm updating the comedy bureau. Mm-hmm. That makes sense. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, it, it's like, uh, I always find it really comforting like over the years to have watched SNL because I'm like, oh yeah, it's actually really hard to make something funny. You know, like it's, it's a little bit comforting to me. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Yeah. Like I'm like, oh yeah, sometimes they're really failing and that's actually like comforting for me to see in a way. Um, but yeah, I mean, um, it's, it's also hard to put funny things through a like studio Mm -hmm. model or something. Mm -hmm. But maybe yeah. I'm too much of a renegade. Like I'm just like, but yeah. that's the crazy thing is like I feel like the show was a renegade in its inception. Yeah. Like when Lauren came down from Canada and like got this ragtag group of weirdo comedians. I'm picturing him on a boat sailing down a river, coming down from Canada. <laughs> yeah. By the way, <laughs> you say that comes sailing down, down the Mississippi. Yeah. 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 With a little hat that you're gonna get him that says like Captain. You know I. I, I, it doesn't say captain, but I do have the perfect sort of hat for that. Oh, I will send you a picture of it. Okay. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. And you're like, that's even better than I thought. I can't wait. Yeah. Um, yeah, it's, I, I, uh, I want someone to, I want Lauren to step down and I want someone who are, would perceive that they would be in over their head to like take over. Because mm-hmm. I feel like they would like try so hard to make SNL their own. It would be so radically different. Yeah. Like someone like you. <laughs> sure. I wouldn't, I wouldn't, I, I wouldn't. would nominate you. Oh, thanks. Yeah. I, <laughs> if I get uh, my hat that you promised me. Yes. I'll nominate you to take over oh, SNL. That's how this payola works. Is that? Yeah, hat? yeah, yeah. Yeah. And then you need to buy a hundred thousand of my children's books I wrote. Sure. <laughs> Uh, that's about how um, you, you can't have the free market keep expanding. Yeah, totally. Oh my God, I do want to write a children's book about that. Well, yeah, uh, wouldn't that be sad is that you you ran like a corruption scheme through a book that actually teaches like good, like positive messages. Yeah, and then, you know, sort of like I was saying, like some nonprofits are good, some nonprofits are evil. Maybe then my corruption scheme would be good. Right. Right. I mean, the idea, Elizabeth Theranos' idea for people being able to administer blood tests on their own is like, wouldn't that be great? The thing is, she yeah. didn't figure it out. <laughs> she really didn't. Um, yeah. yeah. But yeah, I mean, I think the SNL thing is sort of like the thing of, it's it's hard to keep something going once it's an establishment right. juggernaut. Like what, right. like me being like, 
oh, I'm used to my apartment now. I want more comfortable things or whatever, right. you know, like once we get comfortable, it's hard mm-hmm. to be scrappy again. To that point, how long can I think you should leave go? Ooh, oh no. Now I feel like I'm betting on the success or failure of people. Well, it's life. not that like Tim Robinson will no. stop working, but like, you know, you know, I think that's also a way of thinking that perhaps needs to change is like, you know, he could just like close up shop and do something else. Yeah. And like, yeah, like I, I do believe in gracefully ending things. It's so, it's so nice to see a show or something end on its own terms when right. it's still good right. than to like ride it out. Right. Yeah. yeah. But I don't know. A couple know. more seasons, I hope at least. Yeah. I just like hope it doesn't get bottled in a way where like, you know, it definitely feels from, I enjoyed both seasons so immensely, but it does seem season two is like, all right, we're going to one up ourselves from season one. Yeah. And then it shouldn't be confined to that sort of trajectory. Mm -hmm. It should be whatever the hell Tim wants. If Tim wants to make it more of a dramedy, (laughs) he should be allowed to. Yeah. Yeah, totally. Yeah. Hmm. Yeah, I mean, it's hard when something is successful, um, then people want the more of the same from it. Like, I've seen that happen to a lot of musical acts, too. Mm -hmm. Um, And, like, the musicians I admire often, like, totally change the way they sound between albums, but then, like, it's much less marketable, you know? People are like, well, I want you to sound... uh, You know, like, when Bob Dylan went electric. No, I was just kidding, but, like, much (laughs) I don't know. Yeah, that was crazy, right? But um, but yeah, it's hard to when when like creativity is your product, it's such a it's it's such a rare thing when that becomes commercially successful. But then I feel like the instinct of the people who own it is like keep doing that exact same creative thing. Like they're like, phew, you can like see the little cartoon drops of sweat like coming off their brow. And they're like, oh, thank God. Okay, we have one. Like now, please just keep doing that. And it's like right. a really rare and amazing artist uh, and opportunity for mm-hmm. folks when they can like switch it up. Yes. Yeah. I think that is what they're exploring with season two of Hacks. Coming mm-hmm. up. Um, because Deborah has benefited Gene Smart's character off of doing the same thing for decades. Right. And then Hannah Einbinder's character, Ava, comes in and just like, enough of this, get personal. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. And now she's going to do a whole new hour on the road. <laughs> Ooh. Yeah. Yeah. yeah we'll so. see how that goes. Uh, I'll mention this story briefly and then get back to you because I just wanted to not all have all the news stories be about Netflix. <laughs> Russell Peters, uh, internationally touring comedian, uh, is going to do a collaboration uh, to release a line of sneakers. Um, he's currently in the design phase. Uh, he's, they're, they're supposed to be dress sneakers that you could dress up or dress down, but they're definitely comfy. And my question is, um, who, who wants sneakers from a comedian? <laughs> I, yeah, I, not me. Like I yeah. want, the, there are certain things in this world that I want from very serious nerds who yeah. don't, crack jokes and yeah. my sneakers is one of them because yeah. foot health is really important yeah. you know 
and Kevin Hart released his own line of sneakers and like he's a gym rat uh-huh. and I don't think that caught on either like I, he did a collab I, with Nike and no one cared that's the first I'm hearing about it for sure exactly I know and I mean if I don't know about the Kevin Hart collab then like right. who? <laughs> I feel like okay so if we're really to parse this out like if Cat Williams released a sneaker because he does so many act outs like maybe I'd be more online with that uh-huh yeah, Eric Andre, I don't know, like he's running yeah, yeah. around a lot or like Billy Eichner, like mm-hmm. people who I really see doing physical stuff who's who's like, who I would trust that they had stood in these sneakers for a very long time. Right, right, right. Yeah. Absolutely. Huh. Yeah, but I wonder if Sarah Squirm will release sneakers ever. Like her, you know, because yeah. she has such an amazing aesthetic. Yes, I would be truly shocked if, like the next three years pass and Sarah didn't get to collaborate with Vans or Converse. Yeah, right. Very legitimately. Yeah, totally. That'd be really weird. Yeah, get on it. Considering that I think she's like hand-painted her own shoes already. Like you did, she did the work. You just gotta like make it for her, you know? Yeah, totally. Yeah, I want, I want, I want Sarah Squirm Vans with like eyeballs all over them. That's what I want. Hell yeah, just like entrails and intestines. Guts, yeah. Can they have like curly laces that they make look like intestines? Oh my God. That's, we should, let's email her after the show. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. Let's do it. Sarah, (laughs) we came up with a great idea for you. Yeah. I, yeah. We'll talk numbers later, but make this happen. (laughs) Okay. Yeah. Yeah. (laughs) I mean, I assume you and I get 50 to 60%. Yeah. 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 She has us on all money. Yeah. 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 Totally. Yeah. 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 All I have is this hoodie from my day job. (laughs) (laughs) um but yeah i don't sneakers i mean merchandising is the way that people make money you know it's like when i follow weird up and coming that's different but up and coming like influencers on from reality shows or whatever it's like i've seen so many people be like my dream is to have a brand and you're like what a brand of what you know Uh and i feel like for women getting a little gender essentialist here but like you know lots of like fragrances lots of home care products like right. candles and stuff right. makeup and so yeah sneakers I don't what, know what Maybe merch I'll buy would, a you, pair. would you release a line of like um wooden wooden ducks <sighs> okay like again I I just take the ducks so seriously that like I know I should like run with that joke and be like haha yeah but like I didn't I'm like, mean to rim too much. No, no, but but I'm I'm in my mind I'm like, well, yes, I would do that, but I would have to like spend a lot of time sort of like whispering to each of the wooden ducks ahead of time, and then like I wouldn't want people like I would want it to be pay what you want because sure. like you know it's like adopting a dog or something like I'm not gonna it. turn out it. a line of dogs. Do you know Simon Gibson Cricket? No, I don't think so. He's a very funny stand-up. His dad uh, makes wands. Wands? Like yeah, magic he, wands? Yeah, he lives in Portland and just picks up wood around and then makes wands. Whoa. And he doesn't sell them. Oh. Because he doesn't want bad people to get them. Oh, I love that. Yeah. <laughs> Man, I yeah, I really appreciate that. I've gotten a lot, I've gotten really into D&D in the last few years. And like, oh. so I feel like, now I take like wand lore and sword lore a lot more seriously than I would have earlier. Like I was watching the Northman, which I didn't like, but there's like a really cool sword in it. And I was like, 
oh my God, I can't believe I'm somebody who cares about sword lore now. <laughs> so anyway, I really, I appreciate that he doesn't sell the wands. That's how I feel about my wooden ducks. Right, right, right. I mean, but, I think yeah. that is the sort of, like your fan base would appreciate and expect that sort of care and attention put into whatever merch you had. Yeah. Thanks. Like you don't could almost have like a tag or a certificate of authenticity. It's like, oh, this has been whispered to by Cricket. <laughs> Yeah, maybe maybe I should sell. I feel like I could sell shirts with ducks on them that uh-huh. had been whispered to by me. Yes, and like yeah. four or five people would be really <laughs> into that. <laughs> but like, you know, honestly, like if that's what I do in this world, I think I would actually be really happy about that. Yeah, I think <laughs> I, I think you know the thing over a little bit, but I I would be on board for that. What's your merch collection? Am I allowed to ask you questions too? On yeah, your yeah. Oh, I love having an open dialogue here. Um, I, you know, given my sort of proclivities, I think I would like, um, like maybe a comedy bureau bolo tie. Oh, would it say comedy bureau on it? Yeah, I'm trying to have a new logo designed, um, which. Well, so the current one, I don't know how closely you've ever looked at it, but it is like an eagle with the body of a bureau, like a furniture uh-huh. bureau. Yeah. But it's made to look like an official. And so some people kind of just like, oh, that looks like a just a, you know, official sort of like organization logo. But yeah, it's like a joke. And I think to play up, I asked uh, Chris Furbanks, who designed the original logo, I, I asked him to do a new one. I think the new one I, I want is like, um, there's like, you know, those inflatable wavy arm guys. That, oh, yeah. Yeah, I want that in like a men in black suit. <laughs> that's like one hand is holding like the scales of justice and they're uh-huh. all waving around. <laughs> And another one is like holding a gun that has a flag that goes bang outside of it. Mm-hmm. Um, and then uh, the head of that is like the the evil eye pyramid that you see on the dollar bill. Whoa. But the eye has like the sort of um, uh, Marx Brothers like fake glasses and mustache. <laughs> uh Okay, well, since we're talking about merchandising, I just want to say I would run out to buy anything with that on it. You're right. And I think it would look really good as a bolo tie, especially like maybe you could engineer it in such a way that the strings that came down would be yeah. his like little legs or something. Yeah. You could so- add two more strings and they would be his little arms. Yeah, that'd yeah. be great. Yeah. Okay, <laughs> sign me up. Cool, cool. Uh, when Chris Fairbanks has the design done, I'll get on it. Okay, great. Uh, we're reaching our end here. I do, I do want to talk to you again so, uh, about um, what you have coming up in the future in terms of you performing. Uh, what are you possibly looking forward to doing? What are you writing? I mean, any and all the things. Yeah, I don't have any performances coming up, but um, I think I might try to get back into that in the fall. But uh, right now, I think I can say this. I'm um, I'm working on a short film this month that mm-hmm. I'm co-directing with a friend of mine that I wrote, and it is a um, horror comedy extravaganza that's set in a TV newsroom. 
Mm -hmm. Um, and, uh, and there's a giant fight scene as part of it. And there's a lot of teeth, uh, as part of it, which is, I'm really excited about. So teeth, teeth, yeah, it's called chomp. Um, and it's, it's a lot about biting and teeth. And I'm, so I'm concentrating on that right now. Um, well, you know what came up for me when you said teeth and horror is uh, the opening of American History X. I haven't seen American History X. So there's a, you know. Huh? I had to whis- I had to whisper that so that people wouldn't hear it at home because I yeah, know I should have seen that. Yeah, cricket I'm... didn't see American History X. Oh, <laughs> big trouble. It's okay. I, this isn't really going to ruin the movie, but it opens in on like, well, I won't even say all the details. Someone who has to like bite the curve with their teeth and then somebody stomps on the back of their head. <gasps> right. Yeah. And then like I feel like I've maybe seen pictures of that or like that clip. Yeah. And like credit to the sound designer, like like it's just a slight like sound effect of the teeth on the curve that is so chilling. I really should watch that before I shoot this. Although I mean it's not a lot of like head stomping, but (laughs) let's just say I suck people's teeth out of their mouth and absorb them into mine. So Wow. I think this is a good sort of place to explore right as we're ending. So it seems to me that in the ether of comedy right now, um, it's really melding with horror a lot. Mm -hmm. And I want to, I have this suspicion that it's like, we've lived through such a viscerally like upsetting, aggressive time that that is the horror comedy, which has been around for a while here and there, but it's like, having a big surge right now as a like reflection of that. Mm-hmm. Do you have any thoughts? I think that that, I think that that checks out and makes sense. I mean, I, I feel like when I talk to standups right now, a lot of them are like, I don't want to just do jokes anymore. You right. know, everybody, um, everybody's been through a lot. And so, yeah, like horror and absurdity, I think are both coming, coming out of this pandemic with a little bit more of those in the in the mainstream makes sense yeah like what is can you link any specific sort of motivation or like I have flashpoint of inspiration to like why you made a horror comedy about sucking people's teeth out of their mouth (laughs) yeah um (laughs) well I think it comes a little bit out of my background in journalism and just and, sort of uh, learning German, <laughs> learning German. Um, but I, so I, I've been thinking as I've been making this, working on making this a lot about the um, toxicity of white women in the workplace. And like, mm-hmm. I'm a white woman. Mm-hmm. Um, and I've been thinking about the like, who who gets to pretend that they don't have teeth under certain circumstances and who actually has teeth and like how those are used. Mm -hmm. Um, And so this particular piece isn't, I mean, I wrote it during pandemic and the idea came, came to me during pandemic, but it's not like, it's, it's not pandemic horror specifically. This one isn't to me. Um, But yeah, I guess I've just been thinking a lot about power Mm -hmm. and, um, how we wield it, how like helplessness versus like monster 
attack like can right. be two sides of the same coin right i don't would know would you say that... would you say it would be a good precursor to david cronenberg's upcoming crimes of the future <laughs> oh man i hope so i mean i would love for those to be considered in the same same breath <laughs> i mean sucking out teeth and then and I'm going just off the trailer. Kristen Stewart saying this surgery is the new sex. I mean, they, that feels like <laughs> tangentially related. <laughs> I know. I, I'm really excited for that. Um, yeah, I mean, bo- body horror is always something I've been interested in even before pandemic because I've been, I've been very sick, you know? And I mean, in the scheme of things, I have also been very lucky with my health, but I feel like once you've been sick and I think a lot of people experience this for the first time in the pandemic, it's like the fear of sickness or the actual experience of sickness, like living in a body is really wonderful, but it's also a horror show. So yeah, yeah, I think pandemic will bring up a lot more of that maybe for people. Yeah, Yeah, absolutely. I just say like, I mean, that, I, 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 it doesn't necessarily have to be directly pandemic related, but I feel like that's just the, the vibe or the energy that's in the air. I mean, if you yeah. think about like Titan won the Palme d'Or at Cannes, and that's one of the most insane fucked up fairy tales I've ever watched. Yeah. Um, Lamb was an insane movie. Um, there's just like a lot of things that are like people, it feels like, I, anybody who's come up with any of those ideas were just like screaming in their room and they're like, I got it. This is good. You know, (laughs) this is it. Yeah. 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 Well, I'm excited because I love that direction. Like I'm excited for a lot more weird, messed up, (laughs) horror, body horror, right. Strange car fucking. Mm -hmm. Cinema they do not explain any further by the way <laughs> and also it's just like it's like a like a small part of the movie like so much was yeah. written about how she fucks a car <sighs> and then it uh, and you almost forget like oh she's a serial killer too right I mean uh, yeah that that makes sense to me you put in one thing one mm-hmm. thing like that and you know that everyone's gonna be like oh, what you know <laughs> women aren't allowed to fuck cars but it's like it's the 21st century yes we are right um well the car should have called back <laughs> yeah yeah you know as mm-hmm. a, a, like a single mother with a like a car baby that's that's this is no world <laughs> to live in with that gas prices are so high <laughs> <laughs> well maybe it's a hybrid mm. You know, no, that car wasn't electric at all. It no, was like I a know, classic muscle car, wasn't I it? Know. Yeah. <laughs> in the sequel, in the sequel, the future liberals want is movies where people fuck electric cars. Right, right, yeah. right, right. That's where our nation's headed. Yeah, and the sex will be more like, um, like from Avatar, where you have to like weave in mm. your like like strands or beautiful. Like, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> Oh. oh, I can't wait for you to satirize all of that. Um, <laughs> that'll, that'll be fun. Cricket, it's been so great to have you on. Oh, it's been so fun to talk to you. Thank you for having me. What a absolutely, pleasure. Absolutely, absolutely. Yeah. Anytime. Um, where can people find you online? And is there anything you'd like to promote? Um, there's nothing I would like to promote right now, but you can um, find me on Twitter at, at Cricket Arison or Instagram at Cricket Cricket Cricket. And I will put upcoming things there. Great. And um, yeah, 
thanks for doing what you do for the comedy scene here. It's... No problem. Happy yeah. to. Uh, I'm Jake Oger. I created the Comedy Bureau. You can find the Comedy Bureau at thecomedybureau.com. At the Comedy Bureau across socials, there are so many great causes and organizations to support at this time. Uh, abortion funds would be pretty good. Um, if you have any money or generosity left over after that, um, please support the Comedy Bureau because I've been running it for 11 years and would like to continue running it. Um, is there anything you'd like to say as we sign off? Um, keep being weird and thanks for listening. And yeah, uh, give all your money to abortion funds and then to the Comedy Bureau. <laughs> oh, thanks, Cricket. Mm -hmm. uh, comedy is very much happening, very much alive, even though we're still in whatever side of the pandemic that we are in. Um, and as the great Brody Stevens would say, enjoy it! The Comedy Bureau Field Report is recorded, produced, and edited by Jake Kroger. Music by Brian Guineo. Artwork by Andrew Delman and KT and part of the Believe Podcast family. Thank you for listening to Believe. You can show support to your host by subscribing to the show and giving us a five-star rating on your preferred platform. Check us out at Believe.com and search for B-L-E-A-V on YouTube.